Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. And we're live. Hello. How are you? Feeling fantastic. Feeling fun, flirty, fresh. It's August. It's August. You know what that means? What does that mean? (laughs) It's my birth month. That is true. Leos and Virgos unite. 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 You are a Virgo, though. I am a Virgo. They're very different, right? Um, yeah, pretty different. I don't really know Uh, a lot about astrology. I just thought it was funny. (laughs) I was like, oh my god, birthday. Oh my god. No, but it's like still so far from my birthday. We have like the end of the month is my birthday. So anyway, does not matter. Get that gift right. You are coming out with the heat, though. What? Out of the gate. What are you talking about? Oh, because I, I say. so that it was my, my birth month. I just think it's funny when people talk about their like birth month and they're like, we're going to have a whole month of my birthday. And I'm like, do people do that? Word. Yes, people do. Who does that? I mean, I love the energy. I love the energy. It seems it's like just, a bit much. It's very funny. It's like, this whole month is going to be about me. Yeah, there's there's two sides of that coin. It could either be like really fun and just like silly, or it could be like, really overwhelming and too much you know Mm. but anyway i'm excited to talk about this week's story because i do not know how this was the first time i had heard of it my sister told me about this story so shout out liana thank you very much but she was like have you heard of this and i was like no and then she broke down the entire story and i was like okay that's that's happening so Mm -hmm. here we are would you like to just jump into it? I would like to know what this is. Yes, amazing. So this week we are going to be talking about Julian Buckwald and Carolyn Watson. In 2008, Julian Buckwald was living in a small rural town called Budgery in southern Australia, about a two and a half hour drive southeast of Melbourne. Budgery. Budgery. I knew you'd like that. Uh, but also I'm saying it in my mind with an Australian accent and it's 10 times better. Yes, of course, as most things are in an Australian accent. On the morning of March 4th, 2008, 22-year-old Julian Buckwald and his 17-year-old girlfriend, Carolyn Watson, prepared to go out on a picnic lunch together. Big up. 22? <laughs> yes, 22 and 17. Okay. Yeah, right. These types of dates were very common for Julian and Carolyn, since both of them lived at home with their parents still, and they lived in such a small rural town, there wasn't much to do other than just enjoy the outdoors. Julian's family owned a large piece of land in Budgery that was over 1,200 acres in size and was mostly covered in bushland, which is like thick brush and forested area. So they had plenty of space out there to find a nice spot for a picnic, and they never really ran out of places to explore. 1,200 acres? Yeah. Mama's got land. Yeah, they got land as fuck. And it's also like so much to explore because it's bushland so it's it's not just like they bought a town it's like they bought the woods <laughs> like i don't know why but they got them woods <laughs> i don't know you might what if you get bored sure i mean what else is there to do apparently yeah right i need to look up how many miles this is oh okay maybe this but they own almost two square miles yes yeah That's two square miles insane. Of... yeah it's all yours yeah And it's like all bush. So one 
spot in particular that they would go to regularly was a spot that had a waterfall. They have a waterfall on the property? Yes. Dude. Yeah, so they would go to that spot regularly for picnics, obviously, because it was like a little pond with like a 10-foot waterfall that they could just go sit and like enjoy. Dude. Yeah. That's it's, so sick. It's well, sick. I know why she bought the land now. Right. It has your own personal waterfall. So at the time, Carolyn and Julian had been dating for two years. And although... Oh. <laughs> okay. Bro. I'm sorry. Yes, it's Do creepy. We ha- can we acknowledge that? Yes, it's creepy. It's a bit weird. Two years ago, that would have been 15. He would have been 20. Yikes. We understand. So... They had been dating for two years at that point, and although they were young, the two were serious about their relationship. They had even talked about how they wanted to get married the following year when Carolyn turned 18 and was done with school, and had expressed this desire with their pastor in a meeting that they had set up. Both of them had come from devoutly Christian families and had met in church, so this was very important to them. On Tuesday, March 4th, Julian and Carolyn decided they'd go to have their picnic by the waterfall on Julian's family's property. Carolyn lived about 20 minutes north of Budgery in another small rural town called Churchill, so Julian hopped in the family car and drove to pick up Carolyn from her family's home. They then drove back to his family's property, where they turned onto a dirt road and headed into the forest to get to the waterfall. Most of their drive was uneventful, but as the two drove down this bumpy dirt path, Julian had spotted some roadkill on the side of the road. But he was really intrigued by this roadkill for whatever reason, because he said it was much bigger than he was used to seeing in that area. So he stared at it as they rolled past it, but right after they had driven past, he stopped the car and said, there's some really weird roadkill on the side of the road over there. Carolyn kind of looked up, but wasn't super interested, and said she couldn't see it anyways, so the two kept driving, and that was kind of that. They stopped talking about the roadkill, and they continued forward down the dirt road until it opened up into this large clearing. In this field, there was a small pond with the 10-foot waterfall, like we had talked about. So Julian parked the car right at the end of the dirt road, and the two got out, They went around to the back of the car, they got their picnic basket and blanket out of the trunk, and set up their lunch right on the edge of the pond. They sat and enjoyed each other's company for a few hours until it hit 2.30pm, and that's when they started to pack everything up and head back home since they told their families that they would be home by 3pm. So, of course, they put everything back into the car, they got in, and they turned it around to head back down the dirt path. As they were driving, Julian thinks about the roadkill they had passed on the way in, and as they're approaching where he thought the roadkill would be, he turned to Carolyn and asked if she mind if he pulled the car over to have a closer look at it. Still, she was not interested in seeing this roadkill, but said he could get out and look at it as long as he got them home by 3pm so their families didn't worry. Julian kept driving and scanning the path for this roadkill, but just as they were about to make it off the dirt path and back onto the main road, Julian started to get worried that they had already passed the roadkill. So he stopped the car in the middle of the dirt road and said to his girlfriend, I think I passed it. Do you mind if I just get out here and run back to quickly find it? (laughs) You look stressed. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. 
I don't like where this is going. It's like weird. Clearly leading up to something, but I don't uh, well, know what it is yet. Well, yes, this ah. is a podcast where we talk about stories. I'm in. Of <laughs> can you shut up? <laughs> You're like this is clearly leading to something. Of course it is. Carolyn was understandably annoyed at this point, but she again said, whatever, you can go, but you just have to be quick so that we can get home. So Julian put the car in park, got out, and started jogging away in the direction of the waterfall. Carolyn, who had no interest in seeing a dead animal on the side of the road, decided she'd rather stay in the car and just wait. She wasn't a stranger to situations like this because Julian was always getting distracted by weird things, so this wasn't completely out of the ordinary. But when 10 minutes passed and there was still no sign of Julian, Carolyn started getting concerned. Julian liked weird stuff, but he was usually quick about things, especially when they had somewhere to be. She started debating with herself whether or not she should go looking for Julian or whether she should just stay put. And as she was thinking about that, she saw something that sent chills down her entire body in one of the side view mirrors. There was a figure in the brush, dressed entirely in black, complete with gloves and a balaclava, and this unknown man was running straight for her car door at a full sprint. Oh, fuck no. What is this James Bond? Enough. Is the car locked? Did he take the keys? Well, before Carolyn could even think about reacting or locking her door, the stranger had gotten to her passenger side door, opened it, pulled her out of the car, and quickly duct taped her mouth, pushed her to the ground, and hogtied her. She was then thrown into the trunk of the car. She had absolutely no idea what was going on and laid there for a few minutes before she felt the SUV start moving again. That's when she knew that she was being driven away from where Julian would have been searching. This drive went on for what felt like hours. But after a while, the car came to a stop. And actually, it did go on for hours. It went on for like six. So oh six God. hours of driving hogtied in a trunk. Once again, Carolyn was ripped from the car and thrown to the ground, still duct taped and hogtied. She couldn't recognize anything about her surroundings other than the fact that she was taken to a densely wooded area. Her attacker then cut off her clothes with a knife, leaving her completely naked. Carolyn was petrified, and as if her situation couldn't get any worse, she had to watch this man dig a hole in the ground. She was convinced that she was only moments away from being raped and murdered, so she did the only thing she could think to do, and she started praying. At the same time, somewhere around 3.30 p.m., Julian and Carolyn's absence had been noticed by Julian's parents. As soon as they didn't arrive at 3 p.m. that day, his parents started to worry because it was very unlike them to be late because he was extremely punctual. So Julian's mother went out onto their porch to stand and wait for him, fully expecting her son and Carolyn to pull up at any moment. But after standing on the porch for around 30 minutes, she got a really terrible feeling and decided to walk down her long driveway to get to the main road. When she reached the top of her driveway, she turned to look down the main road in the direction of the way you'd go to get to the dirt path that would lead you to the waterfall. She stood there for a few minutes watching and hoping that she would see them driving down the road, but still nothing. 
As she was looking down the road, she happened to glance along the chain-link fence that went down her property, and she noticed that there was a plastic bottle stuck in one of the chain links. She thought that it was weird, because there wasn't any reason there should be a bottle stuck in her fence, so she decided to go get a closer look. When she made it over to the bottle, she took it out of the fence and then realized when she looked down at it that there was a tightly wound piece of paper at the bottom of it. So she unscrewed the cap, turned it over, and let the small piece of paper come out into her hand before she unrolled it to find writing. As she read this note in the bottle, she couldn't believe what she was seeing because this note was very clearly left for her to find that day. Oh, this is a hostage situation. Yeah, so the note was covered in strange satanic symbols and was written in a way that made it barely understandable since the grammar and spelling were so terrible. But the note generally said that Julian and Carolyn, who were referred to as, quote, the boy and the girl, had been kidnapped, and so long as the family did not contact the police, the boy and girl would be returned. It didn't specify what was going to happen to Carolyn or Julian, and it didn't have any kind of ransom demand. The only thing it said was that they had been kidnapped and to not contact police. That is so bizarre. Yeah. There are many bizarre things about this case. So also the grammar is like weird. Yeah. Like, so basically, like we have both of them and we're going to give them back. At some point. But don't contact the cops. That's what it says. Weird. Despite getting this threat, Julian's mother still decided she was going to call the police because, yeah, hello. Correct move. Yeah. The police came out to the property and inspected the note and soon saw that the note had been signed at the bottom with the letters O-N-A. Those initials, combined with the strange satanic symbols around the note, led cops to discover that this note had been left by a satanic cult. A cult? A satanic cult. O-N-A stood for the Order of Nine Angles. This group is a self-professed satanic cult that operates primarily in Europe, but also has chapters in the U.S., Canada, Russia, and Australia. This cult is very anti-Christian and believes that they need to combat Christianity in order to establish a militaristic new social order in which it calls the Imperium. It advocates a spiritual path in which practitioners are required to break societal taboos by isolating themselves from society, committing crimes, embracing political extremism and violence, and carrying out acts of human sacrifice. Oh my god, are you... I'm like, I'm literally speechless. I don't know what to say. Yeah. So... They hate Christianity so much that they that they need to sacrifice people, commit crimes, and isolate themselves. Yes. I When I was looking at the Wikipedia page for this satanic cult, they were like, don't worry, we will never kill children or animals, just other people, <laughs> just like adults. <laughs> uh, Not that it's that's so funny to like... me that even people who are doing this type of shit have a line yeah they're like um we do not harm animals what do you think we are monsters <laughs> like... oh yeah ah, I, I completely missed that part so they won't kill animals oh yeah i said like when people. i was when i was looking at the wikipedia page it said 
they're never going to kill children like they would never sacrifice children or animals they don't believe in animal sacrifice either because they have like this weird thing with human sacrifice that's like the person chooses to be sacrificed but not really it's it's like something about their character so like if they don't think that their character is good, then that person is, quote-unquote, choosing to be sacrificed. This is beyond words. Like, what did they define a child to be? Because she's 17. She's not an adult. That's true. I mean, she's a, an older teenager, I suppose. I don't know, man. Yeah, so... This group has been described as, quote, one of the most extreme Satanist groups in the world. I mean, how like, how would you get more extreme? Right. I guess you start killing animals, right? <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Those deemed ideal for sacrifice by the group include individuals perceived as being of low character, like I said. And they believe Christians are low character, so who better to sacrifice than Julian and Carolyn? When police first saw this note and put the pieces together, they kind of took it as a joke or a prank because Carolyn and Julian had only been missing quote-unquote for a few hours it didn't seem like some huge conspiracy that this cult planted this bottle in the fence for them to find literally right after kidnapping them it was just all very strange but when carolyn's family found out about this note and the satanic cult they told police that 10 days prior they had received a letter in their mailbox that had the same strange satanic symbols all over it and was also threatening them to not go to the police but 10 days ago, they had no reason to go to the police, so they weren't sure why they had even received the note in the first place. At the time, they reported the note, but nothing was done about it because it seemed like some kind of dark prank. But now that they see this nearly identical note to theirs, they felt like this was very real. In their eyes, these kidnappers had been watching them for at least 10 days since then, and this was a much more sophisticated kidnapping than they previously believed. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that in order, because they were on their own property, mm -hmm. so they had to have cased that property and knew yeah. that they were going to go down there at some point. Right. And I don't know, they had to have been watching them for some period of time. Yeah. It's all very strange. So the police launched this huge air and land search throughout Julian's family's property. They knew this would be a difficult search because this massive property was mainly made up of bushland that contained a maze of hidden side roads and paths. And despite searching high and low, they couldn't find Julian and Carolyn anywhere. Did they find any tracks or something or... There sign was, of a struggle? Or? They didn't find any sign of them. They're like, they just vanished. It was just, it. nothing made sense. There hadn't been any reports of official Nine Angles activity in Australia at the time, so it was strange that it was popping up out of nowhere, but also some believed that this was their way to establish themselves in Australia and do something that would get them as much attention as possible. Things only got worse when after days of searching the Buckwald property, there was still no sign of Julian and Carolyn. Although police were skeptical of the whole satanic cult thing, but even if they weren't dealing with a satanic cult, they did believe that Julian and Carolyn were victims of foul play. 
And at this point, even if they weren't victims of foul play, they would have little chance at survival in the rugged bushland for that long. The couple had only gone out for the afternoon with the clothes on their backs and lunch for just that day. If they were lost somewhere, they'd be facing wildly fluctuating temperatures in the day and night, poisonous animals, harsh terrain, and, you know, all the deadly animals that Australia has to offer. So police knew that with each passing day, their mission to find Julian and Carolyn alive was quickly becoming a recovery mission for their bodies. On March 11th, seven days since Julian and Carolyn went missing, a farmer was driving around this winding back road up in the mountains right by Alpine National Park. This national park has a very rugged terrain and is about 250 miles north of Budgery. But as this man was driving around this road, he spotted up ahead a man and a woman wearing barely any clothes, come stumbling out of the forest and plop down on the side of the road. Concerned about their well-being, this farmer pulled up to them and rolled down his window to see if they were okay. And sure enough, the couple told him that they were Carolyn and Julian and pleaded for his help. The farmer helped them into his car and took them to the hospital. The police in Budry very quickly found out that Carolyn and Julian had been found and immediately drove up to the hospital by Alpine National Park. Upon their arrival, doctors told officers that Carolyn and Julian were extremely traumatized. They were completely sunburned, covered in bug bites and cuts and bruises, but they would ultimately be okay. Police obviously needed to get Carolyn and Julian's statements because if this satanic cult was still out there, they needed to get some kind of information to try to put a stop to this. The police asked the couple if they were up to giving their stories, and they agreed. So both Carolyn and Julian sat down separately with police to give their accounts of what happened. Here's what they told police. Seven days earlier, when Julian had gotten out of the car to go searching for the dead animal on the side of the road... Wait, it's already been a week? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, they'd been out there for seven days before they were found by the farmer. So here is what Julian and Carolyn told police in their separate accounts. Seven days earlier, when Julian had gotten out of the car to go searching for the dead animal on the side of the road, he had made it around a bend in the road and was then out of sight of Carolyn. He couldn't find the animal right away, but decided that he would keep searching for a few more minutes until he finally could find this animal. So he kept running down this path for a few minutes more until finally he did spot this roadkill on the side of the road. He said he couldn't find the animal right away because it had been covered by some brush, which is why the view was obscured by the road and he was able to drive past it. But now he's there and he can see it. So he lifted this brush to get a better look at this large dead animal. But as he was doing that, he felt something hit him hard on the back of his head and everything went black. Wait, they put roadkill as like bait? <laughs> well, I don't know. But he, as he was looking at this roadkill, he got hit very hard on the back of his head and went unconscious. When he woke up, he told police that he knew that a lot of time had passed from the time he had been knocked unconscious because now it was dark out. 
and when he had been struck, it was broad daylight. When he looked around him, he saw very unfamiliar forest completely surrounded him. He had almost no clothes on, and his wrists and ankles had been tied together. When he tried to move around, he realized that he had also been tied to this very large tree behind him. He didn't know what was going on, where he was, or where Carolyn was, but miraculously, when he looked down, just under some leaves next to him was a knife. He wasn't sure why there was a knife right next to him and thought that it was possible that it was placed there for him to use, but even still, he was going to use it to free himself. So using that knife, he was able to cut the restraints off his ankles and then was able to cut the restraints off his waist and wrists. He stood up with the knife since he knew that he needed to get away because whoever had put them there, whoever had put him there, would most likely come back. So he decided to just pick a direction and started running that way. Shortly after Julian had been knocked unconscious initially, Carolyn, who had been annoyed, was waiting for Julian in the car when she saw in the brush was a man dressed in all black with a balaclava and gloves who then charged her, hogtied her, duct taped her mouth, blindfolded her, and threw her in the back of his trunk. She laid in the back of the trunk for hours, somewhere around five, six hours, like I mentioned earlier, until they came upon a really bumpy road. Once the car stopped, the driver opened the door, took off her blindfold, and then threw her onto the ground once again. This man then shut the trunk and grabbed Carolyn by the wrist and began dragging her into the woods. She was convinced that she was about to be killed. After a while of dragging, the man stopped and walked back to the car to get something. When he returned, he made a point to show Carolyn that he had a shovel. He then positioned her in a way so that she could see what he was doing as he dug a hole in the ground. For several hours, Carolyn laid there and had to watch as this man dug the hole deeper and deeper, fully convinced that he was digging her grave. When the hole was finally deep enough, the man got out, ditched the shovel, picked up Carolyn, and threw her into the hole. She thought these were going to be her final moments, so she managed to wiggle her way to her knees and did the only thing she could do in that moment and pray. And that's where we left off earlier. She then heard the sound of her attacker walking away. The hole was deep enough that she couldn't see him walking away, but she heard it. This was comforting because it felt like her prayers were being answered. But even if this man just left her there, she was still in a terrible situation. It was getting cold quickly as night fell, and she was tied up in a hole with no clothes on. Meanwhile, Julian had been running through the forest, and he decided to start screaming out for help. He had thought that his screaming could have potentially alerted the person who tied him up in the first place, but he figured he needed help now, or to find Carolyn. So soon enough, after running and yelling, a voice called back to Julian, and it was Carolyn. In the darkness... He fumbled around the bush and trees, following her voice until he finally found her hogtied in a deep hole in the ground. They had this moment where they both told each other what had happened to them, but they were both so scared that their attacker would return that Julian hopped into the hole with her, cut her restraints free with his knife, and helped her out of the hole so they could get away from the area. 
Carolyn at that point could barely even walk because she had been tied so tightly for around seven or eight hours that she had lost a lot of circulation to her arms and legs, and it was extremely painful. But since they were so desperate to get out of there, Julian held her up as they ran. Then Julian tells her that maybe they should look around because whoever had attacked them had left a knife right next to Julian, so it was possible that they left other stuff around. So they began scanning the area, and soon enough, as they were looking, they came across a sleeping bag that had been propped up against a tree. And when they unrolled it, there was food and water inside. There was a toothbrush, half a pillowcase filled with coconut, one jar each of peanut butter and tahini, which is a condiment made of ground sesame seeds, just very random stuff, but food nonetheless. The two of them absolutely couldn't understand why this had been left there. They also couldn't believe that they could have such terrible luck being kidnapped and left out there, but now they could have such amazing luck coming across this sleeping bag and food and water. It's almost as if anything they could need was left for them. Very strange. Do you have any thoughts? Is this part of the plan? I'm just like trying to suss <laughs> out. Like, are they just this dumb? Like, well, I mean, the, they, the knife was left for him or dropped. But yeah, he's like, I have a knife. This guy spends hours digging the hole, throws her in and walks away. Yeah. And there's and a sleeping bag with back? food and water. Well, and I mean, he, he might be coming back. Maybe there's... And then he finds her. I mean, what? I just... I'm so confused. It's confusing. Yeah. Um, do you want me to keep going? Yeah, what? Okay. Just... So, obviously, they took the sleeping bag. No, no, no. Sorry. What's up? Did he... Was he knocked out for seven days? Or was this... No. Is this still day one? This is still day one, because this is their account. So... Um, I went more toward like the family finding out they were missing and then we went through the search and now we're going back in time to hear Julian and Carolyn's account of what happened. Okay, so this is all day one. This is day one still, yes. So obviously they took the sleeping bag and the food and water and kept running. They believed that their kidnappers were stalking them, so they had to keep moving. For the next 48 hours, the couple spent their days wandering this area, trying to find their way out. Every day, they would completely burn up because the heat was unbearable and the areas they had to walk through didn't have much shade. And then at night, they'd huddle together in their one sleeping bag and nearly freeze as they attempted to ration what little food and water they had. They tried to stay positive and believed that they would soon that they would soon enough find a person or their way out. Once those 48 hours were up, they found that they had just walked in one huge circle as they stumbled upon the very hole in the ground that Carolyn had been left in initially. The only good thing about this situation was that the attacker was thankfully not there. But although they were tired and scared, This mistake could have saved their lives because as they were looking around the area again, they spotted a backpack propped up against a tree. Inside, they found more food and water, a little bit of clothing, and even a map of the area. What the (laughs) fuck is happening? This is not real. (laughs) It's real. Again. I mean, this is, at this point, this has to be 
they set it up from, but I just don't understand why. Mm-hmm. So just like you, they're dumbfounded at how lucky they're getting to find these life-saving supplies right when they need them. But although they feel lucky for this, finding this backpack also makes them believe that their attacker will be back soon to get it, so they decide to leave the area once again. For the next five days, the couple used that map the best they could to get through the rugged terrain until finally they made it to the road up by Alpine National Park where they were found. After hearing this story, the police start a huge search of the area around Alpine National Park where they had been found, hoping to find the man in the balaclava or any clues that could lead them back to the ONA or whoever had done this to the couple. They unfortunately don't find the man or any sign of the ONA with that search. However, they did find the area with the hole that Carolyn had been left in. And when they searched that area, they came across the shovel, some duct tape, and some rope. Those items were brought in for analysis, and the police discovered that all of them belonged to Julian. Which meant this kidnapper either had taken all of these supplies from Julian, or more likely, Julian was involved in some way and had supplied the kidnapper with these things. Dude, <laughs> it was him? <laughs> well, it was him. <laughs> um, well, those things belonged to Julian. So. <laughs> and? And we're putting the pieces of the puzzle together. <laughs> okay. But... Why? Well, why? We're going to talk about a reason why, and it's going to be insane. So, come to think of it, there were a few holes in Julian's story. Julian claimed that he had been knocked out, and then he woke up tied to a tree near Alpine National Forest. And that would have meant that Julian was unconscious for the six hour drive. The only way a person could be knocked unconscious for that long would have been from some very serious head trauma, but the cut on Julian's head was just a bit worse than the average scratch. So no major head trauma for Julian. Also, the fact that the kidnappers used Julian's car and all the life-saving supplies they found in the bush, the math just wasn't mathin', you know? Things were not adding up. When police questioned Julian, he stuck to his story about the satanic cult. However, after some pressure put on by the cops, Julian cracked. He revealed that not only was he involved with the kidnap, but he was the only kidnapper. <laughs> How did I not see this coming? I don't know. Uh, I'm usually on the ball. I know. I was, I'm I was actually. I was kind of surprised that you didn't pick it out from the very, very beginning, but also it was kind of fun to give you a grand reveal. I was like, <laughs> I mean, I guess. I mean, this group exists. It does. It's right? a real. It's so a real satanic cult. I was like, well, they might be up to no good. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure they are. You know, <laughs> like according to their Wikipedia page, they're up to no good. But it wasn't but them. It was such a. I was like, you're gonna. Did they use roadkill as bait? Yeah. And then yeah, I was also. I guess I never really, I should have thought like 
Yeah, six hours is a long time to be knocked unconscious, you know? Right. No, I mean, it's it's just an outrageous story, so I'm going to keep going. And then the knife was right there? Right. Like, come the, on. The knife, the sleeping bag, the backpack, literally all of it was just right there when they needed it. What do you mean, sir? So Julian Buckwald had kidnapped his own girlfriend, staged his own kidnapping, and then wandered around the wilderness with her for seven days. The entire thing was faked, even down to the roadkill that he saw on the side of the road. He had said that to Carolyn, that way he would have an excuse to get out of the car and then go down the road without her to then suit up in his black clothes and mask and come back to kidnap and traumatize his own girlfriend. Days earlier, he had stashed the black outfit and everything he needed behind a tree on the path. Now that I'm remembering, I remember when you said there was a guy in balaclava and all black yeah. running towards her and i was like is it fucking him yeah and then i dismissed it because i was like that's so ridiculous that's when i was when when my sister was telling me the story i was like it's her boyfriend <laughs> oh wow yeah you, so what i'm trying to say is i'm you better won. than you yeah you won this time <laughs> what i'm trying to say um no but uh yeah i mean it's ridiculous think about the planning that this took he packed up Rope, duct tape, a shovel, the black clothes, the gloves, the balaclava, the, like, supplies for when they were going to be out there. Like, this was planned to a T and so premeditated. How psycho do you have to be? Yeah, I mean, he did at least 10 days, right? Because he had yeah. to plant that other note. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure something like this takes more than 10 days to plan, but, like, yes. Okay. At this point, now I feel less bad about judging the relationship. Mm -hmm. I was like, something's off with this guy. Yeah. Yeah, Initially, sure. Definitely. And I was right. Mm -hmm. So he stashed all of that stuff behind a tree where he said, oh, there's roadkill. I'm going to go look at it. So he ran away from Carolyn, changed out of sight of her, obviously, and then walked back to the car before charging her tearing her clothes off, hog-tying her, driving six hours to Alpine National Park with her in the trunk, and then pulling her out to show her that he was digging her grave. He wanted her to be as terrified as possible and fully believe that she was going to die, and she did. Then, once she was in her deep grave she couldn't see out of, he walked far away enough that he could completely strip naked, take the knife as his alibi, and then go to quote-unquote find Carolyn. The whole time, throughout the course of those seven days, Julian knew exactly where they were. It was completely intentional for them to go in a massive circle and then end back up where they started so that they could find more supplies that he had planted out there for them previously. And then, five days later, after wandering around, they magically stumble upon the road when the entire time Julian knew exactly where the road was and was intentionally keeping them from finding it before then. Again, I'm really trying to find the motive here. <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about Please tell the me. motive because I need to know. this man is a psycho. Once Julian. Really? <laughs> it's an understatement, okay? Julian 
finished telling the story or telling the truth to the police. And they asked him, was Carolyn in on this? And he told them no. She believed the entire time that they were being stalked by their attacker, and if he caught up to them, they would be killed. The entire time, she thought this was as real as possible. They obviously asked, why the fuck did you do this? Why did you do this? That's when he told them that he and Carolyn were very devoutly religious and had been waiting for marriage to have sex. But over the... No, (laughs) no. I I couldn't I couldn't make this shit up if I tried. I cu- It was all for a night. Yes. Yes. Over the 2 years they had been together, Julian didn't want to wait anymore, but Carolyn did. And their wedding wasn't scheduled to happen for an entire year. He didn't think he could wait a full year to wait to have sex with her. So he had staged this entire kidnapping to hopefully coerce Carolyn into having sex with him before marriage. While he and Carolyn were out on the run for those seven days and nights, they weren't wearing any clothes or barely anything at any point. And at night, they only had one sleeping bag that Julian had left for them. So at night they would be freezing and huddled together julian would tell carolyn that they needed to have sex in order to produce enough heat to stay warm <laughs> oh my god it's so, so horrible it's so twisted i'm so this is really horrible but also that's fucking ridiculously insane yes he also tried to tell her that they could say their vows and in the eyes of God, they would be married, so sex would be okay. He's like, we'll say our vows, and then it'll be fine, and then we can stay warm. And we won't die. Do you really want to, you'd die before you'd have sex with me? Oh my god. Like, think about the manipulation, the the planning, the, the twisted mean, yeah. nature of all of this. It's so unhinged. This is like the most unhinged thing I have ever heard. I, yeah, I can't believe it. Like, how sophisticated of a plan. All to get laid. And also... <laughs> all to get, get laid. laid. What would you do for a Klondike uh, bar? Uh, like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you That's what it makes me think of. What would you do? That's insane. I mean... <laughs> There's no answer. There's I'm just going to no keep words. going. I'm going to keep going. What am I going to say? Yeah, no, but despite their circumstances, despite all of this, they're freezing, they're naked, they have one sleeping bag. Oh, she still said no. Carolyn said no every single time because she is a devoutly Christian woman. Wow. And she was like, no, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to. And every time he was like, but you're going to die. And she's like, nope, sorry. Wow. Yeah. So after seven days of trying to convince her that they needed to have sex or they would literally die, he finally gave up and they were rescued. This is, I, I, I continually cannot believe. So, like, actually, the reason that this stopped is because she said no for so long. Yes, he gave up. Wow. It took them a week. And this is like, they were out there for a week, naked, facing rugged terrain with no shoes 
no shade really they were sunburned they were being bitten by bugs cut up by by rocks and twigs and things like he went to that extent and still didn't get it wow i'm like i'm really glad that he i'm didn't... so glad yeah i'm very glad but i'm also glad that he didn't rape her like I'm me kinda, too like, at this point of unhinged or psychotic behavior yeah i'm really surprised that he didn't i thought about that too when i was when i was researching it and i'm so glad that that yeah, did not really happen happy. god and i'm so glad she just kept saying no what a boss like yeah. what i mean that's commitment no. I, mean, I mean damn she believes yeah that's and good for her yeah he also confirmed that he was the one who had written the notes that had been left for their parents to make it look like the satanic cult was behind the kidnap so he wouldn't get in trouble. Crazy. Not... Well, how did that work out? You folded like a piece of paper, you bitch-ass bitch. Like, you... <laughs> you dumb you... slut. So, when I, was, when I was looking this up, one article called him a Fruit Loop. <laughs> and I was like, that is such a good description of him. He is a Fruit Loop. I can't... <laughs> Can you? It's like the police to get the story and like close the book, and they're like, "You fucking Fruit Loop! (laughs) You're a disgrace!" Yeah, literally. Not only did Carolyn have to suffer psychological trauma after learning about the truth of her kidnapping, she also had lasting physical trauma as well. Being hogtied as tightly as she was, and laying in the trunk of the car, traveling through rough terrain, and then laying in a hole for seven plus hours, gave her some serious injuries to her neck, hands, and back. She also had severe sunburn, as well as injuries to her feet from walking around in the wilderness for days with no shoes and barely any clothing in the blazing heat. But ultimately, she was okay. And that's all that really matters, you know? Like, I, I mean, this it this sucks. Like, this is terrible. And I don't even know how you would begin to trust anyone after this. This is your boyfriend of two years. And he could go to this extent for such a stupid reason. Yeah, I mean... How do you trust anyone? Yeah. How does she trust anyone ever again? And... I don't know. Do you know the extent of the damage to her neck? Was it just like muscle damage or? I don't. I, I don't know the extent of her injuries. I don't really know the extent of his. I just know it was severe sunburn, which obviously is treatable. And she had some lasting damage to her hands, feet and or her hands, her hands, neck and back, which is bad. But yeah, I'm just glad that it wasn't worse than that. You know? Yeah. Julian was charged with kidnapping Carolyn, abduction with intent to marry, abduction... Uh, That's a crime? (laughs) I think it's like forceful marriage, I'm assuming. But he was also charged with abduction for sexual penetration, faking his own kidnapping, theft, and eventually skipping bail. So... Wait, I would like to clear up that I'm not saying that that isn't a crime. Or that that's wrong. Oh, I'm surprised. <laughs> I didn't. By I didn't the take description. it that way. I just want to be very clear. <laughs> okay. That yeah. <laughs> no, it's a weird. It's a weird way of wording it. Yeah. But I think it's like abduction. They've literally written into law. Like pe- enough people have done this. Ooh. To make this a law. Yeah, I don't want to think about that. Ugh. Um, but yeah, I think it's abduction with intent to like forcefully marry. I don't know. It's just a weird um, charge, but yeah. he got it. So. After being charged, Julian was granted bail until his sentencing hearing. 
before the trial happened, he decided that he should flee the country. Julian's parents were German and originally from Germany, and although they had lived in Australia for decades, they actually had Julian in Germany on an extended trip visiting family. So he didn't actually have Australian citizenship. He was very, he was a very typically German, blonde-haired, light-skinned, blue-eyed boy. And he decided when he was going to flee Australia that he needed a disguise. So he was like, I'm going to flee to India. And because I'm going to flee to India, I'm going to disguise myself as an Indian man. So he. Oh, so he did blackface. Yes. He literally dyed his skin a darker shade, dyed his hair, and used a fake Indian passport to flee to India. How did he get that? Who in the hell knows but he got a fake indian passport his, wow, i thought he might be kind of dumb but he is dumb it seems like i mean how do you get an indian passport i, I mean don't you know. gotta rub two brain cells together to make that happen the tiniest spark right <laughs> like just some flint yeah his ultimate goal was to get back to germany where he still had distant relatives but india would be first and he actually was able to make it out of the country But once he arrived in India, he was immediately found out and was extradited back to Australia because he showed up in India and they were like, dude. Dude, you're not Indian. (laughs) Dude, this is bad. Wait, did did the Australian um, customs just kind of be like, oh, yeah, he's Indian. And then when he got there, they were like, come on. I think they were more unconcerned with him leaving the country because he was leaving they're like all right the other guys will take care of it well maybe you don't actually go through customs when you leave you go through customs when you land yeah i think that's more more like it but he was immediately extradited so did not work and he stood trial for his crimes thankfully and in 2009 he was found guilty of all charges and was sentenced to seven years and nine months in prison for the original charges and an extra six months for skipping bail he made an appeal against his conviction and sentence in victorian court of appeal but it was refused unanimously they found that there had been no substantial miscarriage of justice and the sentence was within range. So they basically said, get fucked, you psycho. As they should. Yeah, dumb dumb. In 2014, the Immigration and Border Protection Department told Julian his permanent residency visa for Australia was under review. So he responded to this by showing that he had job offers lined up in Australia for his release, which was strange, even though it was still two years out at that point. Um, He also said that he had a spotless record before this crazy kidnap ploy, and his life, friends, and family were all in Australia. But his pleas were rejected, and in October that year, Immigration Minister Scott Morrison cancelled his visa. So if Julian had applied for citizenship before this crazy scheme, it would have been granted without issue since his entire life truly was in Australia, but he didn't. And so now, after the fact, he, in the spring of 2016, when he was released, he was chucked on a plane and dumped in Germany, where he does not know the language. He doesn't really have much family or any friends, but they're like, he's your problem now. Fair enough, right? Yeah. I mean, it's all insane. 
I don't have any more information on where Julian Buckwald or Carolyn Watson are today, but I hope that Carolyn's doing well. Yeah, well, I hope she was able to trust someone again and Me find too. somebody who fits with her and yeah. you know has the same values. So, I mean, yeah, like long time to get over the psychological trauma, and then you have back and neck problems yeah. from this shit. I can't imagine. But, I mean, what a boss. Seriously. Still said no the whole time. I can't believe that. Yeah. It's been quite some time since that has happened, so I I truly hope that she is fully healed. I mean, I don't know if you ever fully heal from something that traumatizing, but I I hope she's as healed as she possibly can be. True. Um, And I hope that Julian stubs his toe every day. Like, I hope he... Like, has the worst hair day ever, every single day. I hope that people are mean to him for no good reason. (laughs) I hope that he doesn't find a good job and he's just, like, miserable with his stupid little Fruit Loop life, you know? I hope that his family in Germany that he did have, if any, don't take him in. I hope that he doesn't make any real friends. I hope that they all just kick him in the shins. Did you write that? No, <laughs> that was off this the dome. a decent rant. Thank you very much. Well, yeah, we don't wish him well. No. We don't. That's my point. But anyway, that is the story of Julian Buckwald and Carolyn Watson. Thank you for listening. <laughs> and what is your good thing? My good thing is that I had a really good wine last night. It was this like lovely orange wine that I usually don't like orange wine, but it was lovely and i don't have the name of it unfortunately i should have prepared better for this moment and been like it's this bottle if you want to try it but no i just had a really a really nice couple of glasses last night yeah i did try and usually i'm not a wine guy but that one was decent it was good as hell and i don't really usually like orange wine because it's like funky i've had a couple of orange wines that are like kind of nasty it seems like a niche thing like yeah orange wine i don't hear too much about yeah it's not very i mean it's not like widely popular but people do like it but anyway what's your good thing my good thing is that i shot an 81 on 18 in golf so those who understand golf that's pretty good for me love that um for those who do not understand golf i did well in golf love that that's what i sunday that's what i heard so that's what (laughs) i heard that's all you You understand you hit the ball good that's what i heard it was nice good you know love that the weather was great it was weird though because on the course, it was close to an airport, hmm. so there was planes flying over all the time. But to top it off, there was a field next to it where there was, I don't know, four to six RC planes going around, and you they were, like, big. That's not, like very, maybe, that's not very golf clap of them. No, so it was like, <laughs> I'm trying to hit a golf ball, and there's three or four miniature jets. RC planes. Yeah, like yeah. jumbo jets? Yeah, and they would go, like... It sounded like a bomb alarm, like get under and take cover. But then you would see them like rip by and they were doing all these weird um, maneuvers. It was kind of cool, but it was really noisy. And then a real airplane would be taking off. And I'm like, how do I focus? Wow. Well, I still did good. I'm glad you hit the ball good. Amen. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at not today underscore podcast. If you would like to hear the bonus episode that came out today, actually 
yesterday? No, today. Check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story that you would like to share with us and hear on an upcoming listener's episode, send it to knowtodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a weird one. That was a weird yeah. Yeah.